From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. It's Monday, January 29. The United States is in the grip of a migration crisis unlike it's ever seen before. The seemingly never-ending flow of migrants into New York, Chicago and Denver has, according to those city's mayors, pushed their areas to breaking point. The migrants themselves bust in from the border with Mexico, often end up in foreign cities without any assistance, injured, unwell, and ill-prepared for freezing winter temperatures. And for President Joe Biden, these historic migration levels during an election year are a political nightmare. Today, digital foreign editor Chris Sapone on what impact this crisis could have on Biden's election bid, and why it's hampering his attempts to give aid to Ukraine. So, Chris, there has been an absolute explosion in the numbers of migrants coming into the United States from the border with Mexico over the last year. So can you tell us what is happening there? How is this different to previous surges of immigrants coming through the border? And what sort of numbers are we talking about? Well, I mean, there has been a long and historical pattern of immigration and undocumented immigration coming over the border from Mexico. So that's not really new. What's changed in the past, say, six months or year is there's been a surge of migrants that aren't coming from Mexico. They're coming from other parts of Latin America and far beyond. So from Asia, from the Middle East, from Africa, there's some transnational, transcontinental immigration that's happening. Nearly 10,000 migrants a day. That is what federal officials say they are encountering at the U.S. southern border on average in December. That's among the highest numbers ever recorded. So it's raised a lot of questions about why there is the surge and what is driving it. To use a phrase from the U.S. Secretary of State, it's aberrational. Totally aberrational in terms of the historic import that it has. We have more people around the world who are on the move, forcibly displaced for one reason or another from their homes, than at any time since we've been keeping the numbers on it. More than and that's starting to be seen reflected in the response at the border. So there is a real sense of crisis there at the border. They've actually shut down uh, some of the crossing points, in part because they are being overwhelmed by migrants that are coming from you know, far afield. And so the, even the pattern of it is unusual. U.S. officials now warning that the situation is nearing a, quote, breaking point. Completely overwhelmed. Completely just overwhelmed with the situation and it's getting worse. The surge in immigration that we've seen has come on the back of this period of globalization, right? And in this period, it's a time where people have the ability to know more about what's going on in different countries and to travel more freely. And I think that this has created a fundamentally different situation for immigration than in the time when the last international agreement on immigration was signed, which was 1967. The images of it do sort of contribute to this notion that there's not a full control of what's going on at the border. And that obviously has political ramifications. And I wanted to ask you about a big change with this latest surge. It used to be that southern states like Texas bore the brunt of these migrants who were coming into their state from Mexico. But now we see governors in southern states, they've actually been sending busloads of migrants to far off cities like New York and Chicago to sort of pass the burden off to those cities. So can you tell me what sort of impact is that having on those cities? 
Well, it's having a dramatic impact. The city is seeing a new surge of migrants arriving ahead of the new year. Last night, another bus arrived at Port Authority. The city says over 7,000 migrants have arrived here in just the last two weeks, and more could be coming as a new caravan approaches the border. It's highly political. The cities in the north, a lot of them have laws that observe the rights of asylum seekers and immigrants. And they say things like, well, they can't be cast out. They have to be given shelter. Well, that's one thing under a normal flow or normal trickle of people coming into your city. It's quite another when busloads of people and sometimes planes are arriving at the uh, doorstep of the city with people that need to be housed. Mayor Eric Adams is trying to set limits on the Texas governor's busing of migrants north. This is not about raising the attention on an issue. This is a mean-spirited way of using people and disrupting uh, municipalities, uh, not only in this region and in other parts of the entire in the, in the entire country. So we're going to pivot and shift. But again, it's political in another way, which is that it's using these people as props. So this, I think, is a troubling development in the United States because it shows a more sort of heartless and sort of ruthless use of people. Now, that doesn't mean that this these huge surges of immigration are uh, are a good thing or are justifiable, but it is a, it is concerning that this is that people could be used like props in this way. And so essentially you're saying the governors of these southern states, many of them Republican, they're basically sending all of these migrants to cities with Democratic mayors as a way of saying, see, you don't want a wall? Okay, you deal with this problem. Yes, yes, that's it exactly. And and it's, as I said, it's highly politicized. They've sent them to um, out in front of the home of Kamala Harris, the vice president. They've sent them to very exclusive places like Martha's Vineyard, which is a sort of a, a very exclusive enclave in New England. And so these governors in these southern states are are Republicans. And they're trying to make this point that the southern states should not have to bear the cost of this alone. But I can tell you what you're dealing with in New York what you are seeing and witnessing in the state is a tiny fraction of what is happening every single day in the state of Texas. Let me give you some numbers. And it really is to try to make this point where you've got these optics. And there have been cases where migrants have fallen ill, migrants have died being transported in these various schemes. And these schemes are not cheap. It costs money to transport these people uh, in this way. And then, and then it's the spectacle, it's the humanitarian spectacle, I think, of having these people dazed and confused, getting off buses in strange cities, not necessarily knowing where to go, uh, not, not sure what their next step is. Sometimes they don't have the proper clothing. They're coming up from... Latin America and the border of Texas and finding themselves in places like Chicago or New York in the cold. So, I mean, it's, it, it is a very troubling. And, but as I said, it's a very emotive issue and it, it makes for a sense of crisis. Okay, so you've mentioned there the horrible optics of uh, a lot of these disadvantaged people who are rocking up in these foreign cities, New York, Chicago, you know, poorly dressed, possibly injured. And, you know, this is why, of course, leaders like the New York mayor, Eric Adams, has been pleading for federal government help with this crisis. The federal government must take responsibility and lead on this humanitarian crisis instead of leaving it for cities and localities to handle. So how is President Joe Biden tackling this problem? Well, it's interesting. The optics of Biden and the border are that he would not be the extremist that Donald Trump was seen as being in terms of building the wall, kicking out undocumented migrants and the like. But in many ways, he has followed in a fairly similar path. 
the Biden administration is giving the go-ahead for a new border wall in South Texas. The president had to waive 26 federal laws to okay the wall, this despite promising not to build another foot of the wall if elected. Senior White House they haven't done things like removing children from their families, which is what was happening in, in the administration of Donald Trump. But the general approach is that it appears that the Biden administration, while they do want legal migration and they don't want to turn away people who are lawful migrants to the U.S., they also don't want to be seen as opening up the floodgates to whoever can find their way to the border of the U.S. They have to try to ensure that there is control at the border because at the end of the day, if you don't have control of your border, you don't have control of your nation. We'll be right back. So, Chris, how do you think this could impact Biden's chances at being reelected in November? I mean, is this just ammunition for Trump to campaign for reelection by saying, look at how bad a job Biden is doing with this migration crisis? You know who you need? You need me. I think that is a central bet to the Republican thinking on the border. I think that they view it as a as a winning subject for them because they're seen as being more sort of tough on on the border and enforcement. In fact, there's a battle right now over the funding for border enforcement going on in Congress, uh, but this doesn't get at the heart of the actual reform for immigration. I think that the, the I think that the Republicans see this as a winner for them. Uh, but as I said, it is a it's a somewhat fraught and somewhat dangerous game that they're playing because that could end up backfiring and alienating people that they do need. If Trump could stop all migrants coming to the U.S., that would cause a trouble for the U.S. And it would. The, the U.S. relies on migrants for economic growth. It relies on migrants for the growth of various industries. So to, to just cut them off overnight, that would be an issue as well. And Trump may not realize that, but that is, that's a reality as well. And I wanted to ask you about how the political fallout of this border crisis for Biden isn't actually just limited to what we've been discussing, you know, how cities are being flooded with migrants and they're sort of buckling under it, because it's actually now begun to hamper his government from being able to provide the aid that it wants to give to Ukraine. So can you tell me how these two seemingly disparate crises have become connected for Joe Biden? Okay, since Mike Johnson took over as House Speaker for the Republicans, there's been a move to link aid for Ukraine to some sort of funding for more enforcement on the border. This issue has been sitting there idling, stalling over the past few months. The White House asked for tens of billions of dollars in emergency funding for Ukraine and for Israel and said they needed it by the end of 2023. The sticking point remains the same. Republicans in Congress want to ensure new border security law is passed, immigration reform as any component of getting money for Ukraine. That is obvious. So these are seen as issues that the Republicans are feeling a little bit more lukewarm on funding the defense of Ukraine, uh, but they see the defense of the border as a much more central issue. So there's been this effort to tie these together into one sort of comprehensive funding package. The House is ready to act, but the legislation has to solve the problem. And that that's the critical point. Uh, we understand the necessity about Ukraine funding, and we want to say that the status quo is unacceptable. If this doesn't work out this way, if these packages of aid get split apart, then there could be a situation where 
the aid to Ukraine falters, this will have huge geopolitical ramifications while the funding for the border goes on. So if that's the case, it's going to be a real issue for Biden and for his ability to sort of defend the longer term strategic interests of the U.S. The focus of the defense of the country is going to be narrowed right down to the border, while things like the invasion of Ukraine, which really menaces the liberal democracies in, in Europe, that will be put on the back burner and left to the the ability of the Europeans to to coordinate their own defense for Ukraine, which is so far has struggled. Chris, I wanted to take a step back, I think, and look at this through a slightly wider lens because there has been huge anti-immigration sentiment across the United States. So how has Donald Trump jumped onto this recent surge and used it to his advantage? Well, I mean, I think that what's changed this time is that there's been a constant drumbeat of attention towards the border. And this has actually been led by the Republican governors inviting Republican senators down uh, to to the border. They've done these sort of photo ops to show these are people coming over the border. And I, you cannot overstate the effect that this has on the public to see this. 60 House Republicans head to the southern border to highlight what they say are failures of the Biden administration. What we saw today only made House Republicans Republicans more resolved to stand for sanity and the American people. And I think that Donald Trump is very good at winning on the short term. So if you recall, in 2016, one of the first things that he said that really got attention on the national campaign was his allegation that immigrants were murderers and rapists, which was, you know, obviously not true, obviously an emotive exaggeration, but it was enough to get people to look. And from there, it just continues. More recently, Trump has said that immigrants or undocumented immigrants are poisoning the blood of the country, which is just, you know, very, it's very inflammatory language. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison mental institutions and prisons all over the world, not just in South America, not just the three or four countries that we think about, but all over the world, they're coming into our country from So I think there's that sense of this animating fear. And I think that Donald Trump is really trying to rekindle that. He can now try to point back to four years of Biden and say, look, this is chaos at the border. And I think that 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 notion of chaos and crisis is really important for the Republicans to play up. This doesn't deny that immigration is a live topic and that basically everybody has a strong feeling about it because it is very visceral. Who belongs in this country? Who matters? Who's contributing? And then it gets right into this idea of national identity. And identity, I think, is everything in this in this day and age that we're living in. So what do you think a Trump presidency might mean then for those seeking asylum in the United States? Because of course, just last week, Donald Trump won in New Hampshire. He won the primary there, which means he's all but certified to be the Republican nominee for the presidential election in November. I think it means lots of uncertainty. You could imagine if there's a Trump administration, I would presume a much more racially based or racially conscious sort of view of immigration and heartless. I mean, if you remember in the four years that Trump was president, that was a time where they were separating children from their families and of migrants and things that that really, in my view, clash with the political culture of the U.S. that for for all of its faults, it was known as 
trying to, you know, when it, when it had exhausted all the other options, doing the more, you know, humane thing, which meant keeping families together, some sort of basic level of decency. That sort of ruthlessness, I think, is something that people are on alert for because it could happen again. And you have to recall, and, you know, in this sort of populist uh, mindset, that can be galvanizing, that ruthlessness. And I think that that is something that would be worrying for that community, but also for the society at large, because any of that sort of behavior that they tolerate ends up changing the society itself. Thank you, Chris, for your time. You're welcome, Sam. Anytime. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Julia Carr-Katzel. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.